during my teenage years, there were about half of my teenage years are some that I look back on and, and wish had not happened, as a lot of us uh, go through. I had some groups of friends that I would run with, and, and um, anytime we were out together, it was usually out all night long, maybe shooting out somebody's floodlights with our BB guns or setting off fireworks where we shouldn't be or taking certain contraband with us along the way. And we would wake up with that guilt feeling in our conscience as, as we should have. But you know, we would, one of us invariably, in order to deal with that guilt feeling, this is before the Lord got a hold of my life at age 16. But uh, what, what we would do to drown out that guilt feeling is to crank up our heavy metal music. You know, these were the days of the hair bands, right? Yeah, and, and I realized, I wish I had known then I had no hope of ever <laughs> being a part of one. You can identify with that, Lauren, right? Uh, <laughs> these were the days that I think these bands uh, used more product in their hair than most women. You know, uh, Quiet Riot and Guns N' Roses and Scorpions and Poison, you know, if, if you're from that day. But we would crank up the music in order to drown out the conscience. Wasn't very wise. Rather than cranking up the music to dull the conscience, we're actually called to feel one another's pain. Not to be dulled to one another's pain. And feeling one another's pain is a part of the cranking up the love that we're called to do. Crank up the brotherly love. And, and ladies, you can receive this as sisterly love as well, for sure. But we read, as, we, as we've moved into Hebrews chapter 13, the last chapter of Hebrews, he writes, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. So after learning from this book of Hebrews, since I looked back on it, we've been in this Hebrews since May of 2021. You're finally ready for that rapid-fire commands of the letter that come one after another in terms of, okay, so this is how you apply this, or, or, or this is how to move forward from here as the original readers were challenged in, in conclusion, if you will, in application. Not that we haven't seen application throughout Hebrews, but what, what we pick up at the end of chapter 12 as we were closing it is how our life choices should be actions of worship. And the reason is because God is a consuming fire. It, 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 in His personality, in his, the glory that He deserves, He is like a fire in the sense that one, it, once it is lit, the, it is not going to be satisfied until it consumes all of the object. And God is described as a consuming fire. And for that reason, we are called to worship Him with our entire life. Not just here on Sunday mornings. Not just in the few minutes we might spend in, in reading His Word each day. 
So God's reign as our prophet, priest, and king in the person of Christ is an all-consuming one. It is to consume our entire life. And this means that all the sectors of our lives, all the roles that we find ourselves in, we are to play out those roles as acts of worship. Whether we be a spouse or a son or daughter or a parent or a grandparent or a friend or a neighbor or a citizen, we are to allow all of those roles that we fill to be consumed with the glory of God that he deserves to receive from them. And so in these two sections, with the first section we look at here this morning and the next section we look at next week, we see what is dealt with here is our social life, which we look at here this morning, and next week our private life and how they should be consumed with being lived for the glory of God. So we look at our social life as believers and we see that first of all, we must love one another despite the barriers. Love one another despite the barriers. He lets them know, let brotherly love continue. This term for brotherly love comes from the word that is the reason why we call Philadelphia the city of brotherly love. And I don't think it's always the best example of that. If you look at the crime records there, it comes from the Greek term Philadelphia uh, is where we get the exact name of the city, Philadelphia. It means love of a brother or love of a sister, affection for a fellow Christian. It's not necessarily a weaker term for love than agape, which most often is is sourced in God's love for us. Agape being the unconditional love. It's not necessarily a weaker term, which is usually the misnomer. It's simply sourced in a different, um, it's rooted in the family connection that we are to have. So in the same way that a family member, an earthly family member, is expected to have a Philadelphia, a brotherly or sisterly love for one another, we as a church body, we are called, it's not to be any less unconditional, but we are called to have a love for one another that is sourced in the fact that we are part of the same family church family with each other. Love one another despite the barriers. Literally here it's saying brotherly love must continue. It must continue despite what might be encouraging you to stop. We studied how love, loving one another is, is an evidence of our salvation, our persevering faith. We saw this in Hebrews 6, verses 9 through 10, where he says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. And he goes on to say, For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. You see that idea of life worship by loving one another? The love you have shown for his name in serving the saints. We've seen how caring for each other should be a major focus and the goal of our church family. We've seen this in Hebrews 10 verses 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some 
but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. For these Hebrew believers, if you recall, the temptation was to neglect meeting together. The, 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 uh, the term there for assembling together was synagoguing together, meeting together in a formal meeting of, con- of congregational corporate worship. And they, they would have been tempted to do so because to meet together with their Christian brothers and sisters on Sunday sure looked strange to their Jewish brothers and sisters Jewish ethnically, who were gathering together on Saturday and to align themselves with the body of Christ was to bring on ostracism, was to bring on persecution and pressure from family and friends. Neglecting your church attendance is the opposite of seeking to love one another, we've seen. Because that is where we consider how to stir up one another toward love and good works. Make sure that brotherly and sisterly love keeps flowing, we're told. Make sure that this is in an active form. In verses 2 and 3, we'll see our specific examples of meeting needs out of brotherly love for one another, caring for those who are in a tough spot or in a tempting situation, helping those who are being persecuted. You know, one thing that is instructed in uh, football or in in, uh, boxing, really, too, is how to hit. How to hit. So um, let's say uh, this is the person I'm going to hit, all right? The idea here is I'm not going to hit that person thinking that I'm going to stop here. The idea is I'm going to hit them effectively thinking I'm going to stop here. This is just a barrier, but I'm going to blow through it. And that's how I'm going to hit them effectively. Or if I, I can't even lift my leg enough to, like, you know, if I were to kick this, I'm not going to stop here. My idea is I'm going to stop here. Because this is just a barrier. My plan is to blow right through the barrier. And that is the idea behind this call to love one another. Let love continue through the barrier. Not until you just run into resistance. Not until you just run into a problem. This is getting expensive. This is getting time consuming. This is getting awkward. The idea is let love continue through the barrier. And especially, it's easy to stop when the barrier that's being experienced is being experienced by your brother or your sister. It's not really being experienced by you. And that's what we see here in the applications of this. Expect resistance. Expect to continue through the barrier, through the resistance with our love. Right now, it's not necessarily needing hospitality while traveling traveling or or persecution that obstructs. Recently, though, we saw in in a global pandemic, that was the barrier to loving one another. We all experienced grief. We all experienced loss. Loss of loved ones. Loss of an opportunity to celebrate. Loss of an opportunity to be a part of a graduation. To be a part of a wedding. To be a part of a funeral. We all experienced loss right at, 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 
at the same time. And amidst everyone's experience of grief, there were polarizing opinions about who was to blame, what was to blame. And it was so easy to turn those thoughts into your one of those people that are responsible for this. Whether it be you're overreacting or you're underreacting. That was the barrier that the church around the world faced, along with everyone else. But we still had the responsibility to love, despite the obstacles before us, to outdo one another in showing honor. We need to remember this If persecution begins as well, it will bring grief. It will bring loss. It will be very easy for people to say, you know, if you people would just keep your heads down, then then we would all be able to live in peace. Or or, what what are you guys doing over here with with, uh, uh, this is going on? Why aren't you rising up with us? God's goal for us amidst whatever it is that we face in these situations, whatever barriers, is to let love continue through the barrier. We would still be called to love despite the obstacle of loss. In our culture, rather than persecution, I think the obstacle is usually busyness or fear of commitment. It's usually, I'm not sure I want to sign up for that because I might have something that pops up. Or even if we we take a commitment and put it on the calendar, you know, making it a priority means it's there prior to something else. You know, maybe it's small group involvement or something like that. That's our opportunity to love one another. But we let something else crowd it out. I think our obstacles today are probably busyness, fear of commitment, distraction. That's when my TV program's on, right? An obstacle is also pride that keeps people from from voicing their needs to be able to receive that help, right? It comes from the other direction. We are called to love one another in helping one another with their present needs, but we need people to let us know that there are needs, right? Don't be that obstacle. How will you use technology? Will we serve ourselves and get distracted by the things going on around the world? I know that's a problem for me. Kelly's like, what are you doing on your phone? I'm just reading the Fox uh, you know, headlines. I'm distracted by what's right in front of me, by what's going on in the other side of the world. Or will we use technology to check in with each other, to hold one another accountable, to say, hey, guys, I need help. Pray for me. I'm facing this temptation. And to have our buddies come back to us and say, where's the way of escape? That's what you've been promised. With the temptation, there's a way of escape. What are you going to do? We can use technology that way to love one another through the obstacle, through the failures. The first way that we are encouraged to love one another is when a brother or a sister is in a sticky situation. And I think what's, what's, at, what's pointed to in this verse 2 is, is has to do with a moral dilemma. 
more so. I think that's kind of the principle that translates across culture here. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. When he says, do not neglect, it means uh, don't be inattentive to, don't overlook or, or care nothing about our brother's situation. And it's when it talks about they've entertained angels unawares, the idea is incognito. Uh, that, that, um, and I think that we see an example of this in the Old Testament that I'll point to. But the, in the culture of that day, and we've kind of referenced this before, if, if a Christian brother or sister are traveling into a town, there weren't a lot of, there weren't, the, the hotels or the inns of that day were a morally or physically dangerous place. F.F. F. Bruce says, inns throughout the Roman Empire were places of ill repute and indeed even dangerous. They were like saloons out of the Wild West with full of can-can girls that could provide all sorts of sinful refreshment. Those ladies weren't just dancing on the stage. The Christian community was actually so well known for taking up the traveling brothers and sisters into their homes that it was starting to actually embarrass the people around them. It was a cultural norm. It was an expectation. It, it, it was, it was um, an assumption that, that good ethical people would, would take strangers, would take visitors to the town into their homes. To, to make it so that they ha- didn't have to go and stay the night at the saloon. But the, the people of the towns were being, becoming embarrassed by how the Christians of that area were so quick to invite their brothers and sisters from neighboring towns that were, that were there. That they were starting to make the, those that were supposed to be ethical uh, look bad. And the nature of these Jewish Christians was that they were possibly escaping persecution, traveling either to another town because their friends and their family, their support structure, they had lost it all because they had come to Christ. They were disowned by their families and their friends, treated as unclean even, because if you recall, if a Jew were to eat or fellowship with a Gentile, they were considered unclean. And that's what, they were go- well, that's what was going on in their church. They were hanging out with a bunch of Gentiles. So amidst the persecution and the increased need, they were being reminded, don't slack off. Let your brotherly love continue through this barrier, this need. They're being told, give attention, concern, care to being hospitable to folks that you don't necessarily know. It should be an expression of your brotherly love, a lifestyle of kindness. Uh, there's a person in the Old Testament named Lot. And if you recall, he, he was living unwisely in the town of Sodom. And when two men came into the town <clears throat> and were planning to stay in the town square, this is a good example, like no hotels available, Lot meets up with these men and says, you cannot stay here. You're staying with me. You're coming with me. Because the town was so sinful, as you know, likely, as the story goes. But as it turns out, Lot was being hospitable to two angels. 
that were there to protect him. And I believe this is part of what's being referenced here, that some have entertained angels unawares. And we should be ready. And I believe what, as I said, what probably spans culturally here, ready to help one another in situations where it would be easy to compromise morally, where it would be easy to ruin our reputation. Be ready to say, brother, sister, you don't want to go there. You don't, you, let, let me help you. Let me span the gap in your need here so that you don't have to be put in that situation. Stepping in and helping a brother or sister to be safe and to be able to live with integrity is what's being talked about here for us. A brother or sister who's, who's new to harvest, they shouldn't have to go through some waiting period before they can be ministered to and reach out for accountability for sin. You know, I can remember when I was a youth pastor, part-time youth pastor in the first church, I did not understand something. The church had a, had a Sunday school uh, system, and there was a men's Sunday school class and a women's Sunday school class, and there were actual plaques on their Sunday school room. That room was not used for anything else except for their Sunday school class for that hour once a week. There was actual plaques on these two Sunday school room walls with the names of the members of the Sunday school class members. And if you wanted to join that, you basically had to petition. And it, it was like a secret club. You had to be, uh, they had to vote to accept you into the class, and only then would you get your name on the plaque. I don't, I don't mean to cast shade on other ways of doing things and stuff, you know, but that's ridiculous. And part of what we try to do to combat that is, and I appreciate this, Pastor Jeff is gearing up for this uh, for after Labor Day, is that we open up our small groups at least once a year to say, hey, find a small group. Get into it. There's no restrictions here. If you want some help in finding one, do that. But we need to get into each other's lives. We need to be there for each other. We need to be able to let each other know, I need some help here. I might be moving into a compromising situation here. Or to be able to say, hey, I, you mentioned you're going to be going on that business trip. You need some accountability with that? You, can I text you? Or you want to text me and let me know how it's going? That is showing love to one another. We ask ourselves when somebody is new to harvest, how do we best love someone that is walking through the door for the first time? You know what's statistically the most loving thing you can do, what communicates love the best? Do lunch with somebody. Do lunch with somebody. Um, I, my excuse has been, well, if I, go, if I go to lunch with somebody right after church, they're going to be starving by the time I get out of here. But guys, we should be, we should be doing lunch, plain and simple. And, and so if I'm taking off, be like, hey, guys, see you, you know, greet one another afterwards, it's because, no, you know, somebody needs to be taking to lunch and none of you have, uh, have taken them up on it. But we've had a number of people that have come here over the last year, and not a whole lot of lunch goings. So we need to pick up on that, folks. I've shared my poor excuse. What's yours? 
And, and so if you don't see me around here, that's why. Uh, speaking about after church, I'm not talking about before church. But anyways, we're, we're going to move on here. The second way that we are encouraged to love one another is when a brother or sister is in a legal dilemma. Love the persecuted as if you're joining them in their plight. We should not ever be thinking, better you than me. He says, remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. He's talking about give careful consideration to, think of, care for, be concerned about, keep in mind. We have this thing where we say, out of sight, out of mind. And that should not be true of us. If we are letting our brotherly love continue through that barrier of out of sight. It's easy to forget. Be actively concerned about your brothers and sisters who are having their freedoms removed. Be so involved in their plight, he says, that it's as if you're in prison and being mistreated with them, he tells them. He says also, identify with those who are being mistreated or canceled for their faith in Christ. As long as you live in this physical body that's what he's referring to i know we want to read that for you are in the body but this is actually talking about the physical body that we live in as long as we are living in this physical body it will be a part of the life of as a follower of christ as as the apostle paul wrote those who live to follow christ will be persecuted okay we have lived in a bubble of history in America that has been uniquely sheltered from persecution. And that is not going to last forever. It just won't. And I pray that it doesn't last because we're keeping our head down. We need to be open and willing to receive it if it means obeying Christ. As Tony Evans said, Kelly reminded me of this quote this week, Tony Evans says this, if your life isn't more difficult because of following Christ, you're not doing it right. If your life is not more difficult because of following Christ, you're not doing it right. And I'm not necessarily talking about getting thrown in jail. But if your buddies aren't saying, hey, why won't you go out with us after work? Or if your family isn't saying, why won't you watch that with us? Why do you have to be there on Sunday all the time? Can't you, can't you miss every now and then? If, you're not, if your freedoms aren't somewhat curtailed by the, by the fact that God doesn't want me to do that. It doesn't bring him glory. Or if, if your plans aren't somewhat curtailed by the fact that my brother, my sister, they're in need. You're not doing it right. Plain and simple. This has already come up, this, this persecution that these readers have experienced. As the writer called them to recall their zeal, as we read in Hebrews 10, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession. An abiding one. 
now that the persecution had continued for these readers, they needed to love others by keeping these in mind, keeping with their love, continuing with their brotherly love for them. As we, mem- as we are called to remember, it carries the idea of an active response, not just a mental one, not just, a, oh yeah, I remember them. No, but they are, we are called to let our love continue through the barrier. Maybe this is the shut-in. Maybe this is the person's like, you know, I try to go over there to the lane house, but man, it is hard to walk through there to visit my sister. Push through the barrier. Love through it. We're told in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. I thought of Corey Ten Boom's father, Casper Ten Boom. He was a part of the Dutch Reformed Church when the Nazis moved into Holland. The Dutch Reformed Church protested Nazi persecution of Jews and as an injustice to fellow human beings, as an affront to the divine authority. In other words, they weren't saying, better them than us. Well, as long as they're not persecuting the Christians yet. Casper Ten Boom, Corey's father, strongly believed that all people were equal before God. Thus his family did as well. This is where Corey learned it. And when the Nazis began to require all Jews to wear the Star of David, he voluntarily wore one as well. Even though he wasn't a Jew. In May of 1942, a woman came to the house and asked for help. She said she was a Jew and her husband had been arrested several months before and her son had gone into hiding and as the occupation authorities had visited her, she was afraid to return home. And she had heard that the family had helped other Jews and asked if, that they could stay with, if she could stay with them as well. And Casper Tim Boone told her this, in this household, God's people are always welcome. In other words, what was unique about this situation is the authorities were already looking for this woman. She came with danger. She came with risk. But Casper, Ten Boom, and the rest of his family were ready to love through the barrier, love through the fear. You know, I've even asked a friend who's uh, a an employee of the IRS. You know, what what are we likely looking at here for churches with eighty seven thousand new IRS agents uh, with a a budget that's practically quadrupling? And the the response was, yeah. Churches need to expect a knock on their door. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be get the records out. And I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist or anything like that. Or, but folks, that's, that's nothing compared to the great call that we have to love one another. To be there for each other. To stand together. Our world is going in the direction that you would assume an unsaved world is going to go. As one Indiana writer put it, morality in America is like uncut flowers. 
the only beauty that is still there, the only presence of morality that is still there, has no attachment to its original source of biblical morality. But we are called, no matter what the future brings, to love through whatever barrier comes with it. Plain and simple. As we're told in 1 John 3, verses 17 through 18, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I pray that maybe, like me, there's someone that God's been laying on your heart, and it's like, okay, God, I hear you now. I'm not just going to love in my word. I'm going to love indeed in action. Jesus describes a scene in heaven in which some are entering into his kingdom. And they're actually told that the, all that the, about all the good works that they did. And, and speaking of this in, in terms of a king in heaven, he says, The king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For as as I was hung, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you and, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. He's talking about how we treat brothers and sisters in Christ, in their time of need. Plain and simple. And those who stand in Christ's righteousness, he's saying, are marked by following God's will. And this is God's will that we love through whatever barrier is there. That we love one another. In turning our hearts to how Jesus loved us, in his death, we're told in 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love. By this we know what love looks like. By this we know the very definition of love. By this we know, okay, so wh wh what love are we talking about? To love through the barrier. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. When Christ laid down his life for us, the barrier that we had between us and God is our sin. The sin that we are all born with. The sin that we all commit. As scripture tells us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The only person that has ever walked this earth that was not living, sinfully, separated from God is Jesus Christ, the God-man himself. He's the only person on this earth that would not have been required to die because of sins he had committed. He's the only person on this earth that could have stood around and said, not me, 
better them than me. But Christ chose rather than to say, well, I, I think this is an appropriate um, application of it, to hell with you all. You're going to hell. See you later. You deserve it. Instead, he had his body broken. He spilt his blood for our sin. He made his righteousness available by paying for our sin on the cross. That if anyone would believe in him, as John 3.16 tells us, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is a moment in time that we are called to reflect on, to remember, to let our lives pivot on. Just as our lives should pivot on the day that we received it for ourselves. On the day that it should be something that changed us for forever. Maybe incrementally, maybe dramatically. But that point, that pivot moment in history should be a pivot moment for each one of us. And we read in 1 Corinthians 11. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul writes about the significance of the Lord's Supper. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also took the cup after supper. Saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That's like half of what Hebrews is about right there. Do this, meaning drink of it. As often, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often, often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take a moment and in your heart, before I close this in prayer, I want you to bow your heads. And think about the fact that even if you were the only sinner on this earth, your sin would have required the sacrifice of Christ. Your unrighteousness would have still been a gap that you could have never spanned. it still would have required the breaking of his body and the spilling of his blood. Father God, we are so grateful for Christ. We are so grateful that you have shown us what love looks like. 
We're so grateful that you loved us despite the barrier of what it would require. An incomparable barrier, Lord. As the scripture tells us, maybe maybe one of us would would decide to die for somebody really, really good. Nobody would die for a wretched sinner. But love that you've shown is that you died for us while we were still sinners. The just for the unjust. Lord, as we take this measly cracker in this swig of juice, we pray, Lord God, that just as it has no power in itself, that you would empower us with your spirit. We pray, Father, that the remembrance that you bring is one that will impact us for this week, for this month, for eternity, Lord. That we would seek to love as you love and receive your love. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.